the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. During this Ignatian year, this 500th anniversary of the conversion of St. Ignatius of Loyola, a lot has been said about cannonball moments. The phrase comes from Ignatius' own life story. He's struck in the leg by a cannonball at the Battle of Pamplona. It's that injury and its subsequent painful recovery that confines Ignatius to bed and ultimately presents him with the opportunity to read and reflect on the life of Christ and the saints. We talk about this cannonball moment because it's so jarring. It literally knocks Ignatius off his feet, off the trajectory he'd set for his life, and forces him to look anew at what God is inviting him to do. From that cannonball moment, we get the Society of Jesus, the Jesuits, the spiritual exercises, and countless other good fruits. And as a result, we're invited to consider similar moments in our own lives. When have we been struck by cannonballs? When have we had our life turned around by God? These are all good and worthy questions, and this year provides us with ample opportunity to reflect on our own ongoing conversions. We're invited to see all things new in Christ. And yet, there's a temptation to sanitize the cannonball moment, to forget that Ignatius, then Inigo de Loyola, was a prideful man who led his soldiers to their deaths, whose cannonball moment was a bloody, gruesome affair, and who suffered from trauma and guilt in the many months and years that followed. This too is what it means to experience a cannonball moment, and we must look at the story honestly, fully, lest we risk offending or alienating those among us who have also experienced such trauma. This is the theme of today's episode. Father Rob McChesney joins us again to discuss how Ignatian spirituality and the person of St. Ignatius can help us process trauma, can help us accompany those who have experienced trauma, and ultimately how a fuller understanding of what a cannonball moment represents might bring us closer to God. I will warn you, the subject matter today is heavy. We do dig into trauma and its effects, particularly where veterans and sexual abuse survivors are concerned. As a final note, Father Rob makes mention of several meditations found within the spiritual exercises. I encourage you to visit the Office of Ignatian Spirituality's page on the exercises to learn more. Go to jesuitseastois.org backslash spiritual exercises. Here is Father Rob. All right, Father Rob McChesney, welcome to AMDG. Thanks for uh, for joining us today. My pleasure to be here. And welcome, welcome back too. You were here a couple a couple months ago talking about uh, Ignatian spirituality and trauma, and I think we are going to touch on some of that again today. It was a, a topic people were really interested in, so I'm excited to uh, to dig in. Cool. I, I want to start, you know, right now uh, we're in the Ignatian year, which I, I think is something that, that a lot of our listeners are, are aware of. Um, so I want to ask you, you know, what is this time, uh, this Ignatian year meant for you? How have you marked this important anniversary of, of St. Ignatius's conversion? Well, I've really gone into kind of a second or third career, I suppose, as a Jesuit. Uh, I have a lot of experience working on the ground, including with the Jesuit Refugee Service in Jordan, where we met. Uh, the Ignatian year came along. I was back from Jordan, and it, it led me to embrace a ministry of the spiritual exercises, retreats, and spiritual direction. So uh, after Jordan, I've been here at Warnersville, the Jesuit Center for Spiritual Growth, which has sadly just closed. But I've been doing retreats, spiritual direction. Um, a lot of that reflects a discernment in light of the Ignatian year. And uh, I will move to my next assignment full time, uh, retreat, spiritual direction, research writing on this on the exercises. So it, it's directly impacted my uh, apostolic mission. So again, as, as listeners might know, uh, the Ignatian year uh, is marking the anniversary of of the cannonball moment, right? That literal time when when Ignatius was uh, was struck uh, at the Battle of Pamplona. Um, 
so, you know, this is an important moment and many people have used it as an opportunity to think about their own quote unquote cannonball moments, um, uh, some sort of a life changing event. But you've been doing this research uh, and a lot of reflection, and you found that there's there's this dangerous temptation, I think, to trivialize, right, this very uh, real and grave wartime wound. So can you talk a little bit about the problems uh, that you see uh, wh where this, this expression cannibal moment uh, uh, may be concerned? Yeah. First of all, you know, let me just affirm, I believe this cannibal moment motif, meme, whatever you want to call it, is doing enormous good. On social, from social media right up to the general. I mean, Father um, Sosa uses it himself. So it's been embraced by the Society of Jesus from top to bottom, and with good reason. It's helping people to recognize and articulate a moment of, of uh, faith conversion. That's a really valuable thing. But having worked with a lot of military veterans, from early on, I was uh, asking myself, what is it that makes me uncomfortable? And I think it's, it's kind of positioning myself in the trench with these guys and women increasingly. You know, being with Inigo uh, in his cannonball moment, I know from working with this population that for him it was bloody, it was gruesome, it was brutal, the experience, okay? There was carnage. Uh, there was trauma for the survivors. And because of his narcissism and grandiosity, he instrumentalized his fellow soldiers. He turned them into uh, cannon fodder. It was his decision, remember. They all voted uh, not to fight because the odds were overwhelming. And he said, defend the citadel or die. My first perspective on the cannonball moment has been to realize, talking with military veterans, that Inigo was not alone on that battlefield. You know, thinking of that fact, I look at the contemporary reality, and um, there's about 25 million veterans in the United States, Britain, Australia, I want this Ignatian year to be supportive to them as well. Yeah, I, I think it was. It wasn't until you you had brought this to my attention that there's that line in the in Ignatius's autobiography that that says exactly what you said. You know, he it was his pride. You know, he he said, "No, we're going to stay and fight. We're going to even even though you know they're calling for our surrender." Um, uh, you know, it's it's a line easily missed. And again, it the the role of pride. Uh, and, and the role of, you know, I think sometimes we think of cannibal moments as something uh, that is happening to us uh, that, that we have no control over. And here it's, it's, it's uh, like literally pride goes before the fall. Right. Um, and, and then, as you said, I, I think it, it, you know, it can't be un, you know, overstated the, the, the violence, the, the, the goriness of the moment, you know, it's, it's tempting to, uh, to, to clean it up in our in our collective memory, or or uh, to to make it uh, almost cutesy, and of course, um, of course, that's not what it was at all. And to give it a little historical context, which is important, I come from the Vietnam War generation, uh, and the guys I talked to were my peers, uh, although some have fought in Iraq as well as Vietnam. But I was subject to the draft. Uh, there is no draft anymore. And these military vets will point that out. That war, like now in uh, the Middle East, Afghanistan, Iraq, recent wars, it's, it's not a war of the whole society anymore where anyone is uh, susceptible to be drafted and go. So they're very wary that they've been forgotten. They're very wary that war is now just, it's for those who can't, who have nothing better to do. They're very uh, conscious of that. And I want to respect their dignity in that regard. I, th I think, I forget who the author was, but uh, writing about Ignatian contemplation as that kind of long loving look at the real. And I think, right, there's that need for us to uh, to not look away, you know, from, from a lot of pain and, and suffering. And, and as you say, even, 
and kind of expand our understanding and our imagination of, of what some of these these violent, uh, you know, warring uh, battlefields look like, even if they're, you know, literally a world away. I, I, you, you've, you've, you've talked already a little bit about kind of the how a misunderstanding or, or a limited understanding, maybe better said, of, of a cannonball moment, uh, you know, impacts how we perceive the divine gaze. Um, can, can you talk more about that? How we, because I think it, it, it also impacts not only kind of our understanding of, of what God is seeing in the world, but probably also it, 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 it limits our understanding of, of God and God at work in the world. Are you seeing that too? Absolutely. Um, you know, I try in my own prayer to, and I invite people making the exercises to, to look at Inigo's cannonball moment through the divine gaze. Go back to that siege. It was really more of a siege with uh, the French kind of state-of-the-art cannon. Uh, go back and look at that moment 500 years ago last May, and what does God see? And what God sees is that Inigo was not alone uh, on that battlefield. So that can help us today to imagine, in talking to veterans today, they can teach us about what an active battlefield looks like. And we see at Pamplona 500 years ago, hundreds of corpses all around Inigo, we see hundreds of wounded people. It's not so much a, it's a limited understanding we have. The risk is with the cannonball moment that we are, we, we, we allow ourselves uh, not to see widely enough. You know, go figure. For every, every corpse on that battlefield, every man, there were an awful lot of widows and children traumatized back home. I'm not a military veteran. I could have been. I, I drew a high number in the draft. My cousin did not. He returned psychologically scarred. My, my uh, favorite aunt and godmother, her husband went to, at 20 years of age, went to serve in World War II, was shot down in the Pacific Theater, uh, flying a Navy jet. And I saw the trauma wreaked on that family. So, uh, you know, I didn't, why do I think about this stuff? I don't know, because it may be some, partially the family history, partially talking to veterans who uh, have educated me. There were a lot of uh, traumatized widows and orphans, families from Pamplona. You know, for those of us, right, who are steeped in Ignatian spirituality, it's it's unavoidable to you know this this coming in contact with um, examples from from war, from battle. Ignatius, uh, you know, was a, was a was a soldier. Um, so much of the exercises are written uh, through that lens, and I think um, it's tempting. And I've, I've done this myself. It is kind of to reinterpret some of the like the two standards meditations, some of these meditations that are very heavy in, in war language, to reinterpret it in a way that. Uh, you know, we might use you know in common language today, I'd make it more accessible. But I, what I hear you saying is, um, you know, obviously we want to make Ignatian spirituality accessible and help people find themselves in the story. Uh, but also, we we need to uh, you know do justice to to the to where the spirituality came from, to the again to the suffering, the trauma um, that Ignatius experienced, that the people around Ignatius experienced. And I'm always struck by the fact that what you're saying that, you know, we sometimes it's tempting to think of cannonball moments almost selfishly. This is what happened to me and my conversion. And yet, you know, in Ignatius's story, literally his his conversion moment came at the expense of how many lives. And that's that's hard to it's hard to process. I really think it's a both end, you know, because we all have our we, we all have our cannonball moments, uh, which are turning points. Um, I certainly did when I was 22, um, and those those turning points are often conversion experiences. I think if we're looking at the paradigm of Inigo, we're talking conversion experiences. Yeah, that that's that's how God's spirit works. However, 
like Inigo, it was incomplete. First of all, there were a lot of other people that suffered uh, simultaneously to this moment, but then even he himself was very wounded psychologically. And uh, it was only in subsequently a year later at Manresa that he was able to process a lot of that psychological, I would say, you know, traumatic in today's terms, symptoms. This man was still really wounded in his soul after Pamplona. So it, Pamplona, important step, faith journey still incomplete. So on this po- on this podcast, uh, we talk a lot about the person of Ignatius, right? And we've asked a lot of um, our recent guests to, to comment on kind of you know different approaches or ways of understanding Ignatius that are that are common. You know, Ignatius the soldier, Ignatius the mystic, Ignatius the administrator. Um, but here, our, our conversation really looks at Ignatius, uh, the prideful you know, vanity uh, afflicted man. And, and then Ignatius, uh, you know, a man uh, dealing with, with severe trauma. Why do you think it's important to, to keep this image of Ignatius in our mind as well? We must remember that, that uh, Inigo, this great saint who became Saint Ignatius, he was vain. This great saint was first and foremost a great sinner. And that's true of most of us. Uh, who seek God, we do so as Jesuits in the Ignatian tradition as sinners. Remember Pope Francis's first comment that was picked up by the uh, media. Who are you, Pope Francis? Tell the world. He says, I'm a sinner. It's so Ignatian and it's so wise. So here is maybe his fundamental flaw. I mean, he had more or less dealt with the lust, I suppose, or, Maybe that remained for Manresa, but you can't separate the two. It's the traditional Christian wisdom that is the saint and the sinner. It's two sides of the one coin. So that's one reason. And the other is uh, his vanity, his narcissism, his grandiosity, like, like all evil, was destructive. And his evil, his sin was destructive in spades of many lives. It almost destroyed his own soul. Remember what happened at Manresa. He, he considered suicide. Um, but his vanity re- and the consequences of it remind us of the consequences of sin which can be terrible for ourselves and others. Do you find that the, uh, the various victims of trauma that you work with, um, this, this, this approach to the saint helps, helps them in their own journey? Very much. Because what's, what's really fascinating is that the symptoms of trauma and moral injury maybe call moral injury a, um, a type of trauma, uh, the symptoms overlap dramatically with the graces of the first week. Uh, so I'm talking about uh, guilt, paralyzing guilt, shame, confusion, scrupulosity. Um, these, are, these are all graces mentioned by Ignatius in the first week of the exercises. Um, In his journal, he also talks about these things at Manresa. And he even goes further um, to the destructive personal consequences of, of such evil, of what the enemy can do in leading him to suicidality, which is something a classic symptom of extreme PTSD, moral injury. So kind of starting from from the experience of these folks, now, as you know, I started working with refugees before I started working with military veterans. 
and you see the similar symptomology, including suicidality, you know, I get excited about this perspective on the spiritual exercises. I think we've got a bridge here for a population that might otherwise feel themselves excluded from cannonball moments. I, if they feel that, okay, I've got a way to talk to them. Can you talk a little bit about um, your perspective on Luke's parable uh, and the Good Samaritan? When Jesus first told that parable, it had nothing to do with the uh, neighbor love. What does it mean to be a good neighbor? Okay, that was a later redaction by Luke to put it in that context to teach us what it is to be a neighbor. Jesus simply talked about the mugged traveler and the priest and the Levite that passed him by until such time as the Good Samaritan came. So I want to go back to Jesus's focus on the mugged traveler in the ditch, by the roadside, in the trench. It's a liberation approach, you might say, to the Good Samaritan parable. Uh, Gustavo Gutierrez does stuff with this particular parable along these lines. Um, I want to go back to that Good Samaritan parable and invite the Ignatian family to situate themselves in the ditch, in the trench, alongside the road, looking up, waiting for hospitality, charity, noticing that the institutional church passes them by. This is what many veterans will tell you. This is what many survivors of sexual assault and incest will tell you. And I work with this population. I don't even need to mention the uh, survivors of clerical sexual abuse. There is a whole population out there, this parable can teach us, that feels passed by, by the institution. Pope Francis loves this particular parable, and Pope Francis points to the priest and the Levite, precisely as I'm doing, of how cold and indifferent clergy and lay professional minister, uh, ministerial representatives can be toward people in the ditch, in the trench. Pope Francis says this: uh, these 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 two guys, the uh, the priest and the Levite, they are the institutional representatives of the globalization of indifference. Hmm. So my broader concern is with cannonball moments. Nobody wants to be indifferent. So it's all about learning to see, to notice with the divine gaze. We don't notice these people on our own, okay? We have a moral myopia. We need spiritual cataract surgery. <laughs> and guess what the role of the spiritual exercises is? It's cataract surgery for for those of us who simply are blind, not even to, to put a guilt trip on them, but just we want to see more. You had asked about the Magis, um, and the Magis is, is all part of this perspective that I'm portraying. I steal this particular point from the uh, great German theologian, Johann Baptiste Metz, who just died. Um, but he said the whole point of what Jesus was preaching was the um, importance of seeing more, not less. And when I read that, it's all through um, uh, Metz. When I read this more, 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 um, it's like, oh, my goodness. But this is something we in the Ignatian family can learn from, from Metz's theology, which is you know, very prominent. We need to see more. We need to see more than Inigo uh, at, at Pamplona. We need to see 
the whole battlefield and all of those impacted. I love that approach to the Magus. Because again, I think it's tempting to make the Magus all about me. What more can I do? What more should I do? Uh, what more is out there for me? And yet uh, it, 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 it melds beautifully with this idea of contemplation, Ignatian contemplation, that you know we want to see the real and love the real and see and love as much of the real as, as we can. Um, one, one last question. Uh, you know, the, the, the kind of the catchphrase for the Ignatian year, right, is to see all things new in Christ. How, how are you approaching that, uh, that mantra uh, these days? Yeah, it's a really, that mantra is really powerful. Initially, I, I thought it was really kind of innocuous. But if you really spend time with it, cannonball moments and all this stuff, where I am with it is to say, you know, I cannot see all things. I take an Ignatian perspective. I can't see all things new in Christ. I can't see all things new without Christ. I don't see all things new. I see myself. I'm really hung up, focused on inigo, vanity, narcissism. I'm really self-preoccupied. But the call, the invitation is to to go the next step. So to, to see all things new in Christ would be um, to engage more wholeheartedly in the spiritual exercises, to accept, to recognize that I have, that I need spiritual cataract surgery, that I can't do it, that I'm blind on my own. My, my vision is blurry. we'd finished our conversation, Rob and I, on Cannonball Moments. I'd even sent him an edited version to review. But that only served to stir in both of us new ideas, new points of discussion. I mean, this is an important topic. Not only is it foundational to the story of St. Ignatius, not only does it go straight to the heart of the Ignatian year, but it also speaks to something essential in the spiritual life. Suffering and God's desire to draw close to us despite it. It also speaks of trauma and how important it is to be intentional and aware in the words we use. So Rob and I kept talking. Hi Rob, so we have been uh, talking about this now for, for a few days, this idea of, of a cannonball moment. And as we've, as we've uh, kind of unpacked it, uh, over our, our various communications, um, I think we've we've stumbled upon a really important distinction um, that uh, kind of boils up to something that's really significant. And I think there's there's kind of cannonball moments, um, you know, for for lack of a better example, right? Uh, in in social media, uh, you know, it's kind of a hashtag. It's something quick, and and it's, it's understandably, um, you know, uh, I mean, a little cute, a little glib, because um, it's trying to express something quickly. Um, but I think that what we're what we're seeing, at least in our conversation, is that uh, a cannonball moment, as it stands uh, within the Ignatian tradition and the story of Saint Ignatius, uh, it's hard to really do it justice in a quick, uh, kind of down and dirty uh, approach. It really is this hinge upon which the whole story centers, and 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 it. And, and the brutality and the, the bloodiness and the, the tragic tragedy of it, the trauma of it, um, can't be uh, overstated. And, and certainly it's hard to capture um, in a quick uh, tweet or, uh, you know, an offhanded, offhand comment. Um, and in some ways, I know we've talked a little bit about uh, the kind of the crucifixion, you know, and again, we, you know, we, we wouldn't treat the crucifixion um, in a kind of quick way, right? It, it takes, you need to know what happened before and you need to know what happened after, uh, you know, for the significance of this bloody, uh, brutal scene to really uh, carry the weight that it, that it should, that it needs to for us in our faith to fully uh, appreciate it. So I wonder if, if you might share your reflections on, on this kind of the, the, the stages of, of things, of, of, of putting things in, in their proper context, but also, again, appreciating uh, the weight of what comes before, of what comes after, 
uh, and uh, giving it its due time. There's a there's is a before and an after, I believe, to an ego's experience, such that a cannonball moment becomes a hinge. Okay, and for the population we're talking about. I think what I'm coming to see, even through these conversations, um, is that that uh, terminology, which gets picked up and used on uh, social media, which I think can trivialize it in some sense uh, for our population of military veterans, what happens is that terminology can trigger their experience of violence in um, warfare. And that that's why it's problematic for this population. Um, so, for example, one veteran I talked to of Iraq, uh, looking at this terminology, he's a very devout spiritual guy. Um, you know, he says, my best friend lost a leg. He said, I really relate to Ignatius because my friend lost a leg to an improvised explosive device in Iraq. He said, but, you know, I, had I would never talk about with his loved ones an IED moment because that terminology is, is um, triggering of the traumatic symptoms. So... I guess what I'm just seeing is the cannonball moment is really a marvelous meme. Secondly, we have to be sensitive to this particular population. Um, and for them, it's a, it's a turning point moment. It's a hinge moment. There's a before and there's an after. Delving deeply into the stories, um, both of Ignatius, but of, of each person and, and, and validating and being present to you know, the pain and the suffering and the agony of those stories is, I think, what we're called to do, right? And, um, I, you know, the image that comes to my mind, uh, I remember a long time ago, uh, when I was an undergraduate, we we were supposed to go to Cambodia for a, for a trip, a service immersion trip. And so we, we learned a lot about Cambodia. It ultimately didn't work out, but um, we had gotten these little crosses, and the crosses... Uh, the crosses, Jesus was missing a leg on these crosses, and it was... Wow. And wow. it was it was just to to remind us of um, of the you know the the pain of the people the Cambodians of, of the of the presence of all these landmines and 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 um, and you know, I, I guess you could on the one hand you could see it as in some ways trivializing uh, you know what's this you know here's this American kid with this little thing in his pocket isn't that cool well, on yes. the other hand it it also you know brought me at that time and now as I reflect back into um, like the intimacy of Christ to to that to that woundedness to 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 uh, you know Christ intimately concerned with with the with the people and and Christ injured as a as a result in this in in that way and 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 kind of looking upon Christ again we're we're called to see all things new in Christ right and and when I think about that image you know I, I you know we're we I see you know Christ in a new way right in that embodiment of right. of that suffering. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think I come back to, we have to give this stuff. It's, it's due time and wait and, 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 and puzzle it out in some ways. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I like that. Due time really strikes me because a couple of reasons, uh, before and after it takes time Inigo's cannonball moment was not processed until a year later at Manresa, what I call his Manresa episode. But also, if you look at the life of Jesus, um, you know, the, the cross, you, you gave a good example of the cross uh, for Cambodia. You know, the, the cross is a pretty unusual emblem, uh, which is our most sacred statement, visual statement of Christianity and Jesus Christ. But it took time before the early church could accept that. It took time for the disciples to accept that 
reality of the cross. Uh, and they were confused by it. They were haunted by it. Um, it took time for the early church to embrace the cross as the central symbol. Now that we have so much distance, I think we've sanitized it. We don't realize what a brutal experience it was. Yeah, I, um, it's funny, my, my daughter, my three-year-old notices, uh, you know, the, the crucifix at the front of the church, um, you know, particularly as we're watching, if we watch different churches, you know, on, on YouTube for, for mass or whatever, she'll, she'll point out, oh, it's not there, where is it? Um, and it is, it is almost curious to me to think like, wow, like she's, she's looking at a, at a, at a brutalized body on a piece of wood. That's, that's what she's noticing. And she's not, she doesn't know, I mean, I, I, you know, we haven't quite delved into the depths there yet, but, but, you know, she'll come with time to, to know, hopefully, right, and appreciate and, uh, and deepen in her own faith, what that actually means and represents, as we all have, right? You know, I don't think we, I know I didn't show up to, to mass as like a second grader and be like, well, let me, I, I know what that cross represents and all that it in, entails for me in my life. Um, you know, I, I almost wonder um, if in some ways that uh, that image of Ignatius that of, of that, that that's being struck with with the cannonball, um, you know, should should be in our our Jesuit churches and retreat centers in, in a in a in a in a in a prime way. Uh, I'm certainly not advocating to replace the crucifix. That's not what I'm saying. But but some somewhere where people can can make that connection. You know, here's Jesus crucified. Here's Ignatius wounded. You know, what is it for me? You know, what, where is that, uh, you know, this, this, this journey? And then, as you say, what, what's before, what's after, where's the Manresa episode? Where's the, um, I don't know. I, I maybe I'm, I'm kind of going off here. What do you think? No, no, no there's a, uh, at the uh, church of St. Ignatius on, I think it's Park Avenue in Manhattan. They have a, a brilliant mosaic of the cannonball moment. Uh, Ignatius is in armor. Ignatius is is down. Uh, there there are corpses around him, but it's the moment that he has been struck by the cannonball, and it's very powerful. So uh, yeah, and you know maybe something that comes out of this Ignatian year is some good artwork, some inspiration for artists um, to do some of this work, but. I guess you could, yeah, you could say it is our equivalent of the crucifixion. I mean, yeah, that's not a good comparison. But it's that moment of brokenness mm. in the life of our founder that is transformative for us, for the Ignatian family, that leads to the transformation. Not immediately. He right. remained broken for at least a year. He was not healed until Manresa. Um but it's 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 the um, it's the moment, the painful moment that captures what leads to our transformation in the sense that the uh, crucifixion is for us as Christians. Yeah, it's, it works. Let's have some more artwork. <laughs> yeah, and I think your I mean uh, your point is is an important one that you know he wasn't hit by a by a cannonball and then suddenly transformed right it was the mm -hmm. time and hard work and 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 uh and pain and um i know you have rob a a, a narrative that was shared with you um uh by a friend of yours by a by a vet uh maybe you would share it with us to to really help us uh, uh you know hear hear firsthand some uh, some reflections on 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 these topics yeah sure He's a pal of mine from, uh, uh, well, I'll just read it. I'll just read it. The following is a personal narrative written by Robert McPherson. In it, he reflects on many of the themes we've touched on in our conversation. Bob writes, I am a U.S. Marine infantry veteran of 30 years and two tours in Vietnam, followed by Beirut, Iraq, and Somalia and retired as a colonel. As a Marine and combat veteran, I turned to the Veterans Administration and the clinical therapy there helped. 
But much of that assistance came from prescribed medicines, making me indifferent and disappearing into something just as dangerous as complex PTSD. An existence without passion or emotion, a comfortable indifference. With the encouragement and reassurance from a fine therapist, I gradually eliminated the chemicals. But fear followed me despite trying to convince myself that I was learning to handle it. I continued to struggle with anxiety and unhappiness. Without more help, I knew the illness would break me. I searched for God at a Jesuit eight-day retreat, and the sanctuary was helpful. But on returning to a secular environment, I lost my intimacy with Christ. Silent meditation allowed me to realize desolation had become an established norm. Just as I recognized my hand as a part of my body, so did I perceive despair and fear as integral to my being. As the illness got worse, I spoke with my Jesuit pastor in Charlotte, Father Jim Shea. We discussed the spiritual exercises and he suggested I read the autobiography of St. Ignatius. Within the first pages, I realized our common association as combatants wounded in battle and spending many months enduring a painful recovery. Through his autobiography, I developed a kinship with him in our shared commonality of struggling to overcome the loss of self-worth that accompanies a severe wound or illness. When I started reading his memoir, I sought a path to lead me out of my desolation. After finishing his journal, I knew I had found a fellow traveler within the grip of a post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, an illness defined by the American Veterans Administration with symptoms of negative perceptions about self, feelings of isolation, withdrawal, aggression, emotional regulation difficulties, suicidal tendencies, persistent fear, guilt, and shame. In Ignatius, I found a man I could relate to, a soldier at war with himself, fighting battles never won. Beyond Ignatius's description of his struggles is a man who understands what it is like to live with PTSD. But how does he balance his knowledge of the enemy, or Satan, against his struggles of contemplating self-harm? While he speaks and writes about enlightenment, grace, and forgiveness, he cannot escape the suspicions of inadequacy. Ignatius knows the enemy is probing the lines of his defensive perimeter, and at times the fortifications are broken. When falling into periods of fear and desperation, he must have felt it was because he had failed to embrace Christ. Ignatius had no support groups, therapists, or drugs to help mitigate his illness. However, in a remarkable achievement that was as inspired as it was reasoned, he created the sacred exercises. In doing so, he found a way to not only help moderate his illness, but also with a penetrating emotional intellect to demonstrate that varying degrees of depression and anxiety are a natural part of living. For Ignatius, the seeds for his growth did not occur after a single event. PTSD can result from one experience, but often the illness grows through a series of cumulative experiences in a person's life building toward a single incident, triggering the illness. Ignatius's determinants may have included the complexities of his childhood, many armed fights and encounters, promiscuous behavior, all culminating in the battle wounds of Pamplona. Looking back over half a millennium, we will never be sure of the specific causes of his mental distress. What happened? How did Ignatius the soldier, tormented with complex PTSD, become the saint whose spiritual exercises and examine helped reclaim the lives of so many people over five centuries? 
Ignatius created a day-to-day -day tool for finding God in all things. He used his mental illness to connect with people and their pain. Pope Francis once wrote, the danger that threatens in a crisis is never total. There's always a way out. Where the danger is also grows the saving power. In the threat itself, that's where the door opens. For Ignatius, his PTSD opened the door for others to find a way out of their darkness through the spiritual exercises and the examine. I worry then that how we look at his cannonball moment, even our use of the phrase, risks trivializing the experience of pieces of metal ripping your body apart. But what I come back to is this. If you're still around to answer an email such as this, in some form, you survived. However, for every wound you sustained, there is always someone or many others who were with you that did not survive. We must always keep this reality in mind when we speak about the cannonball moment, when we contemplate Ignatius's injury. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for, thanks for sharing those words from, from Bob McPherson. Any final reflections or thoughts um, that we should uh, leave listeners with um, uh, as, they, as they think about, you know, the, the, the story of Ignatius, the, the moment of conversion, this designation year? Yeah. Yeah. One last thought. It goes back to the image of uh, your metaphor of time. It picks up on um, faith. There are stages of faith development. I'm sure many of the listeners are familiar with Professor James Fowler, who's developed a whole theory of stages of faith development. And so I think we see with, with you know, Ignatius was born and bred in a very Catholic family, but he was family was not much of a practicing Catholic family. Um, the cannonball moment, it led him back on the stretcher to Loyola, where he was able to, by the grace of God, reconvert, you might say, to his uh, childhood Catholicism. But he was still a really messed up guy. And he, had, uh, he still had to go to Montserrat. He tried to, he thought about killing the Moor along the way. And after, you know, he laid his sword down at Montserrat, the military guy. But he went on to Manresa for 11 months. He, he was better at fighting uh, militarily, um, kind of an external war, than he was fighting the internal enemy, Satan, the spiritual war. And I think the listeners know the uh, the trauma, what happened to him in Manresa, including uh, contemplation of suicide. So I guess what I would say, and knowing the history of Christian spirituality, Ignatius had only just begun at Pamplona. Faith is a journey. Uh, we know from the Western spirituality, it always includes a stage of purification. And I think listeners, uh, you know, get on board with the cannonball moment, look for the turning points, embrace your roots, if those roots include, uh, you know, a heritage of faith practice, but be aware the enemy doesn't go away. And the trials, it's all through the gospel, trials and temptations await. And so uh, turn to Ignatius, be ready to turn to Ignatius in his Manresa episode, because there are, um, that's another essential motif of this man who, who, who is our, um, 
whose life is paradigmatic for us. So the news is good. The news is good. If, if there's a, a phase of purification ahead uh, for anyone who's listening, uh, the Ignatian tradition has resources for that. I would encourage folks too, to just spend some time with Ignatius's autobiography, particularly that the first few chapters. And, uh, you know, as you were, as you were talking, I, I remembered, you know, I, I mean, Ignatius is before he has that, those thoughts of suicide, right? He's, he's the, en the enemy is whispering in his ear, who, who can do this, who can live this life for however, you know, 70, 80, 90, 90 years. Um, and, and so in, in that is both, a. uh, a recognition that it's it the transformation the conversion takes time is a lifelong endeavor and also um a, a, an admission that that's that's where we're going to be tempted is is to throw in the towel when when really um god invites us to you know to do our best and to keep muddling muddling onward uh, those are the opportunities for growth you know it's those moments those challenging trials, which are the moments of greatest spiritual growth very often. Yeah. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for your reflections, as always. All right, Eric, you're the man. Thank you. I want to thank Bob McPherson for sharing his experience and perspectives as a combat veteran on Ignatius' Cannonball Moment, PTSD, and the spiritual exercises. Bob wrote a book uh, which was published by Torch Flame Books. It's called Stewards of Humanity, Lighting the Darkness in Humanitarian Crises. You can learn more at his website, and I will include the link to that in the show notes. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, DC. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Mike Jordan Lasky, Megan Leach, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at, at @jesuitnews, on Instagram at wearethejesuits, and at Facebook, facebook.com jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>